Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Natasha Perrine and her story I'm really excited to hear because she has a story about developing a music program, building it from the ground up, which we definitely have that in common. And we're going to talk about a lot of things during this episode that I'm so excited about, honestly, like I'm just really looking forward to this conversation. So before we jump into all the things, I would just love for you, Natasha, to introduce yourself to the audience and let everybody know a little bit more about you. Sure. Um, my name is Natasha Perrine. My kids call me Miss P, and that's part of all my social media handles. And I am currently an elementary music teacher here in New Orleans. Uh, but I actually got my start in high school choir and theater. And I did that in Alabama, in Ireland, in Rhode Island, and then made the switch in 2017 when I moved to New Orleans. And before I go any further, I just have to say, when I was a new elementary music teacher, I found this podcast and it got me through so many trying times. I have cried with you (laughs) on the way home. I have had successes with you. I, I just like, this is such a 360 moment for me. And I'm just like so honored to be here and so excited to be part of this community because I am sure you've heard this before, but your work helps so many people and it has helped me personally. So I'm just very excited to be part of that. Thank you. Oh, girl, you're going to make me cry. And no, I did not pay her to say that. I'm just no, wanting no, to she know. Didn't. That is, that's just her story. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, I, I think I heard you say, because you and I, ironically, are working on a cr- music curriculum project together, which we didn't know each other were on the team. So it's kind of cool. But anyways, I heard you say in one of the meetings you're teaching in New Orleans. And I don't know if I've ever shared with you that my mom's whole entire side of the family lives in the area. Um, oh my goodness. He grew up, I don't know if you know where Norco is. It's this teeny tiny little town, this oil town. Okay. And then my mama, so I have a mama, lives in Kenner. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so Kenner is just right. Uh, oh yeah, that's South the is. Yeah. So, and then Destrahan, Lafayette, everywhere over there. So um, I have a lot of Louisiana family. And so I also have a lot of Arkansas family. So I always just say I'm kind of a mutt because I'm kind of like a, <laughs> a Cajun hillbilly, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's so I'm cool that you teach there. It's such yes. a neat area. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I, I wanted to live in, I, I went to school at the University of Alabama and I lived in Tuscaloosa for many years. And in fact, got my first full-time teaching job there when I got my high school position. And 
all throughout college. And even while I was teaching, I was always trying to like scheme away to go visit. And then mm. when I started my career, like, how could I teach there? And um, I tried for several years. And then, you know, one thing led to another and different opportunities mm. came about. And uh, when I saw in 2017, this elementary job pop up, I said, you know, what the heck, I could figure it out. And um, you know how us high school choir directors can be. I had a bit of a, you know, I thought I could do anything, right? Cause I put on all these shows and whatever. And I thought, yeah, elementary teaching will be so easy. Oh my God, I have never been more wrong about anything in my life. Uh, that said, I've never had as much joy and fun as I've had in the elementary classroom. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's not easier. That is for sure. <laughs> elementary teachers, all teachers, but especially elementary, doing the Lord's work. And truly, you are rearing children. You are yes. raising actual kids. And I think for me, that that was the hardest thing, um, was just like the psychology of a five-year-old versus a 15-year-old. Mm. Um, and just learning the differences in in the developmental years. Not that there certainly aren't changes from ninth grade to 11th grade or 12th grade, mm -hmm. but you know, even what a kindergartner does in August is so different than what they're doing in May. And yes. it's so fast. And I mean, five years later, I'm, I'm still, still figuring it out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was the, that was the biggest thing. And I think what I, I realized what finally like started to get things clicking and helping me be successful was figuring out how to give very clear and simple directions. Mm -hmm. And that has been a game changer for me. Um, and I always, you know, again, going back to being a, a choral and theater director, I was like, oh, I can give, I, I'm great at giving directions. That's, that's what I do. But, you know, you really have to break things all the way down from how to, how, if you want them to pick up a pencil, how do you want them to pick up a pencil? Do you want them to write right away? Do you want them to talk while they're writing? Yeah. Um, my first year in elementary at our summer PD, I uh, was, I, I learned about the uh, MVP direction theory. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, the M stands for movement, the V stands for voice, and the P stands for participation. So after you get their attention, if you do a, you know, a clap or some kind of callback, then you say, when I say go, I want you to stand up. That's the movement with your voice off. And I want you to clap the rhythm on page one. Mm -hmm. And that's the participation piece. And that is something that I still practice when I'm going to introduce something new, or especially, you know, when you got 30 kids with different instruments in their hands, you got to be very clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Or move around so that you can have fun and they can feel successful and it doesn't just become chaos. <laughs> oh, I love everything you just said because <laughs> it's so true. There's so many things you don't know about being an elementary music teacher until you get in there and do it. And like mm -hmm. you said, you don't even need to, you don't even realize is what I mean that you have to break down steps into smaller steps and then even the smaller steps into even smaller steps. It's crazy. And I feel like that even with fifth graders, sometimes you're like the things you think they should know. <laughs> They're right. like, you have to give them constant reminders still. Like, how do you, right. how do you yeah, still how not do you realize this? this? Like, yeah. I know, like, we've gone over this a lot. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you've talked about 
you're now an elementary music teacher. You've mentioned how you were a high school choral director. And so I want to talk about, you've already mentioned a few things, but what was the switch like for you? You've talked about the age gap and the breaking down the directions a little bit more from a five to a 15 year old, but were there any other things that were a big shock to you or you had oh my to gosh, so from, you know, <laughs> one to the other grade level? <laughs> yes. Well, I think that, you know, when, as a choral director, you pick your repertoire for each concert and you're kind of teaching to the concert. And sure, if you're really getting in there and, and doing the work, you're working on the theory and you're doing rhythm and you're and you're teaching them, right? But everything is kind of geared towards this performance. And in elementary school, you know, yes, there are performances and you can have as, you know, in my case, sometimes as many as, as you'd like to, um, but it's kind of, what I've learned is more about that experience in that moment, that day, and like what new thing can they discover? And it's just, it is a whole new world. There is, there's so much to teach. It's hard to decide what do I want to teach? And then once I decide what I want to do it, well, how am I going to do it? Because when I was coming, you know, in 2017, and I was thinking, okay, like these kindergartners are going to come in and, or, you know, first, second, third grade, well, how, how am I going to do this with them? Am I going to teach them rhythm the same way I did in high school? Um, and you, you have to break it all the way down. What does a quarter note look like? How would you draw one? What does it sound like? You know, I mean, it's, again, it goes back to like this breaking down the steps, but I had no clue what to teach mm -hmm. or what to do. And at my first school, which is a different one um, than where I'm at now, where I've built the music program, um, I went in on my first day and saw my room and there was a beat up cardboard box with loose leaf sheet music. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, what do I do with this? Luckily, there was a closet with boom whackers and that's what I had. I had boom whackers and loose leaf sheet music. And so I started, you know, just searching the internet all of the time for boom whacker, boom whacker, boom whacker. I found play alongs. I found, you know, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on teacher paid teachers getting lessons and trying to figure out what to do. Um, but it was, that was such a challenge. That was such a challenge. And also doing all of that with no budget you know, so, um, <laughs> spending a lot of my own money. Um, but you know, and, and that part, well, we shouldn't have to do that. Right. That part wasn't even the stressful part. The stressful part was like, okay, I have this resource from teacher pay teachers, but how do I do it? How do I do it? Um, it, and it's a lot of trial and error. It, it, it was a whole, especially that first year, um, after my first year teaching, before I took the job where I'm at now, I did my ORF level one training and that really unlocked a lot of mysteries and secrets for me. Um, I so wish I would have done that the summer before I started elementary, because then I would have had like a real grasp. Okay. This is what a kindergarten class looks like first, second, third grade, all doing the same song and how you can develop and add step by step. And that first year, I just had no clue. And so I really clung to what I knew and singing and dancing. That's kind of my thing. So, you know, again, I said, we didn't really have a budget. So I would find uh, pop songs that I could find the karaoke tracks. And those were the songs we sang. And I would teach everything by rote, which like, you know, the old school, trained choral director and me like felt some kind of way about it. But like at the end of the day, 
the kids don't, they don't care. They want to have fun. Mm-hmm. They want to have fun. And I really, yes, when I've developed my program where I'm at now and I've had after school programs, we get more into the refining the sound and, you know, shaping your vowel or how to be more expressive. But in my everyday music class, I just want kids to sing. I just want them to try. And, you know, again, they just want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. So it, I, it was actually kind of freeing being able to let go of that stuff and just say, okay, I'm going to sing this. You copy what I copy. And it was, it made me wonder, wow, I wonder if I would have done more of that in high school. Like what kind of like a closer kind of community and what kind of more connections might I've been able to develop doing more of that. Um, so that was a huge, a huge thing for me. Um, but I stuck to, like I said, the singing, we did a lot of dancing and choreography and, um, and music theory, like everything was rhythm based. And even though we didn't have a bunch of instruments or music to play, them with, um, my kids could read rhythms and they could compose. And it was like, okay, that's something. Um, but then, like I said, I did my ORF level and I really kind of learned how to, um, put those things together. And um, I'm hoping soon I can go get my my level two because I just oh my goodness it was just so much fun, um, and that's that's what I love about creativity is the or about creativity that's what I love about <laughs> free music teaching is the creativity that we get as the teacher. Mm-hmm. One, I mean, depending on what state you're in, sure some might have more requirements or state guidelines that you have to adhere to. Um, I've been really fortunate that in I've just kind of gotten to do what I decide to do. And I think a lot of music teachers are in that position and it's kind of a blessing and a curse, but, um, you know, with that, we can do whatever we want. You know, we, if, if your thing is, if you're a guitar player, great, then get some strings and like utilize that. Um, like I said, for me, it it was singing and dancing and putting on shows. And so we would put on, um, we call them showcases at our school. And I would invite, um, I mean, at, at both schools, invite teachers, administrators, parents, other classrooms come in. This is what we've been learning Um, on those boom whackers at my first school. I taught my fourth graders um, several nursery rhymes. And then I had, I taught the songs to pre-K and K and they came to class and they sang while the fourth big kids played the boom whackers, you know, and for the little kids, it was like, they, they might as well have been Beyonce with a boom whacker, you know, it was a big deal. And I think that, um, those kinds of community building experiences get other kids excited, even if they don't have you yet. I've always been on a quarterly schedule, but they get a taste of like, oh, when I come to music, I'm going to get to do this. Oh, when I come to music, I'm going to get to show off. My people are going to come. I'm going to get awards. People are going to see me do my thing. And that anticipation and that excitement is, um, is powerful, especially if you're a new teacher. Mm-hmm. And people don't know you or know what you do. Yeah. So while you're talking, I'm nodding my head a lot. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see that. But <laughs> I didn't realize how similar your story was to mine, except for I did not start as a, a choir teacher. But the starting a music program from scratch, you don't realize how hard that is while you're in it. But it's like, I'm almost grateful for that opportunity because when you are, I don't want to use the word force, but I don't know what other word to look for, I'm looking for, but you are, you have no other option, but to teach with what you have at your disposal, which is, which was nothing <laughs> you have, you're forced to use, when you use the word creativity, that's what came to my mind. You're forced to 
be creative, not only with your students and for your students, but use your creativity you already have inside of you because you don't have any other option. And instruments are great. All the resources and materials are great. But sometimes, if I can be honest, I think that can cause a lot of overwhelm for music teachers because when you there's two camps here, you know, if you don't have anything, it's overwhelming because you want at least something. But then if you have too many things, it's almost like, well, oh my gosh, like what if I don't use all these resources or all these instruments I have or all this technology, it can be overwhelming because you have too many things. So in a way, I don't know if you feel like this, but I'm looking back kind of grateful for that opportunity of being able to start a music program from scratch. Because I, like you said, my a mentor teacher, actually my cooperating teacher from student teaching, I remember calling her like, oh my gosh, help. I don't know what to do. Help me. <laughs> yes. I was like, ah. And she said that. She, she said what you just said. She said, you, but your students have voices and they have bodies. And I went, I mean, that's true. How many times on my own am I singing in the car or in my house or just experiencing music or music comes on and you're moving to it? And I thought when she said that, it got me thinking, okay. So now that I know that I do have that, at least, what can I do to create lessons around that same? You said you found Boomwhacker. So you said, OK, I have this, so I'm going to make the most of it instead of thinking about what I don't have, because the whole goal here is to teach music to your kids. So I I don't know. I just love your story and I love that you're talking about the realness behind it and it doesn't mean you you saying all that was just like, oh, it was just so easy. You know, I just had. No, not, have, not at all. You know, Please yeah. Be a little proud or yeah. Loud, and, loud and clear. Not not easy. Right. Yeah. When you're saying. It's kind of what you said. It's, yeah. it's within you already. And it's mm-hmm. within the kids. Um, and I really like what you were saying kind of about the two camps of mm-hmm. not enough versus too much. Because, yes. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing mm-hmm. to have all these instruments. and and But you got to know one, how to play them as a singer. That has been a huge, not just learning curve to actually physically learn how to play the instruments or technically play them correctly, but a self-confidence emotional mm-hmm. lesson for me, because I, yes, I, I can pick a piano part out. I can do what I need to do to get through a rehearsal, but I am no concert pianist. And I always, you know, had a lot of anxiety about my piano lessons in college and being good enough at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was kind of relieved. Oh, I can just perform. Great. Where's my costume? What time is rehearsal? Perfect. That's what I like. Um, but in elementary, you know, if you have it, it's best for the kids to get, you know, as much experience as they can. And um, I had to kind of get over my fears of, no, I'm actually a musician. Mm. I'm not just a singer. I'm not just a choir director. I am a fully, well, continually growing musician. Mm -hmm. And um, that has been for me, like such a personal achievement. It was realizing that just like I tell my kids, they can do anything. I can do anything too. And I've, um, the more I've kind of, kind of worked to instill that in them, I have simultaneously and kind of unconsciously been growing that in myself uh, over the pandemic at the beginning of it. I bought a ukulele because I had seen so many people using it on Instagram. And I was like, I want to be like that. That looks fun. And I just taught myself on YouTube. And in fact, um, I, I don't know how I did this correctly, but somehow I taught myself to play 
I, I don't, I was like playing something backwards. It still sounded right. I don't know what I did, but I had to then unteach myself and teach myself the correct way. Oh um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was, I was like, oh my, again, I even, one of my YouTube videos, I'm like totally holding strings the wrong way and doing, and it was like after that, that I learned, oh, <laughs> I got that wrong, but who cared? You know what? I had fun. I had a really good time. And that ukulele has, um, opened up so many doors of, uh, fun and joy for me. I've started writing little melodies that I do with my kids and like, no, am I a Grammy award-winning <laughs> recording artist? No, but I don't, it doesn't matter. Like I'm having fun. And, uh, that has been so great for me. And I think that that reflects back to my kids and in my classroom and, and they love it. They love when the, the ukulele comes out. So that that's been, you know, good for all of us. Yeah, you're being creative with your kids. That's been the, I guess, the word of this episode. But honestly, you're showing them that you making music is fun. It doesn't matter how many things we have to use in here. We're going to have fun in here. We're going to make music together and not stress out about if we're doing it perfectly. That's great advice. That's life skills you're teaching them too. My gosh, like many times I'm so hard on myself. You know, if you're failing in life or I'm not doing this perfectly, like, so what? It's okay. I wrote down another thought before we move forward is about the curriculum aspect of starting at a school with nothing is where you are, like you said, you were searching teachers pay teachers for lesson plans and things. And so you're forced to find your own things and then slowly build it up. Like I developed my own curriculum map because I didn't have one. I slowly, like you, like you did, I found lesson plans. I started plugging, playing. And then when I got resources, then I was like, okay, I already have these things I've already found. What else do I need to supplement there? Or what else could I use instead? Same. Yeah. And then took, took ORF level one and like opened up a whole new world for me as well. But in a way, I'm also glad that I just started kind of creating my own curriculum out of what I started slowly accumulating because it wasn't stepping into a situation where it's like, we use this, you're using this. I was able to go, what do I want to use? And then kind of like forced to, um, I keep using the word force. I don't like that word, but you know what I mean? I was able to, there we go. <laughs> I was able to look at different resources and things. So I knew what I would want to use because I, when I, Finally, we didn't have a budget either, but my district finally gave us money. Uh, They got a grant, I think it was. And so this was in Tulsa at the time. They were able to give the music teachers in the district the same amount of money for each teacher. A lot of them... They're literally like, we don't need anything. And I'm like, give me yours. Cause I, yeah, I'll <laughs> so, take it. please yeah. give me yours. So I, th- I was able to start buying some teaching resources. And I think with that money, I bought a few drums for my classroom and things like that. If I can remember right, it was so long ago, but so all that to say, I started thinking about curriculum too, where we were talking about having too much. Do you feel that way too, where when you don't have a lot to teach with like teaching material wise that you being able to slow it down by saying, what do I want to use? Because I don't have anything. So I'm going to slowly find things has in a way been helpful. Yeah. I think it's like a double-edged sword, right? At Mm -hmm. the time I wanted that plan, like Natasha do this, this, and this, and then you're going to get this product. But I mean, that's not teaching. That's not life, right? That's not the way things work. Um, I think that all of us music teachers, really, no matter what level, but I would say especially elementary because the breadth of of topics that we teach, um, we are curriculum writers, developers, and content creators from day one. I mean, again, unless you're in that situation where someone says that this district, you have to do this and we're going to come check on you to make sure you're doing it. But I would, you know, 
I would bet that that's not most people's situation. We're, we are doing the stuff that, you know, the homeroom teachers are getting that stuff, right? But we are getting to make those choices, like you were saying, and sometimes it feels overwhelming, but over time, if you stick with it long enough to, to see it, you know, make sense for you and decide what you like and what you don't like, you know, you can really end up with, with stuff that works. And one of the things I wrote down um, when I was um, thinking about our talk was the importance of like not giving up on your ideas. And, and I'm, I'm giving (laughs) the listeners advice, but also myself because I'm very very guilty of this. Um, I, I'm quick to be like, oh, that didn't work. That was awful. Throw it away. Something new. Um, But I think that we get more out of like really reflecting on like why a lesson didn't work and going back because you save yourself the creative energy and time of trying to find new things. And I can tell you from my, you know, first year, especially, but even, you know, I would say years one through three, the time it takes to research, that's one whole step that has nothing to do with a lesson plan. And that has nothing to do with execution. And that consumes so much time. So if you can take that time to reflect on what went wrong, unless it's just something that your kids aren't vibing with, or it doesn't, you know, they're not interested in it and you can't find a way to connect it. I think it's usually in the how, like how we did it, not the content itself, but how were our directions clear? I know for me, most of the time when things don't go well, it's because I gave poor directions. Hmm. And when you're trying to get, you know, five or six group groups of kids to five or six groups of instruments, that's a lot of transitioning in 50 minutes and it can be done, but you have to have to think about it. And so I've, I would say my, the, whatever year the, before the pandemic 2019 Mm -hmm. is when I really started getting serious about documenting every single thing that I was doing. I would say the years before that, I just had slide after slide after PowerPoint after save. And I would try to organize it like week one, you know, first grade week one. And then, you know, I had given up on so many ideas that there wasn't kind of like a flow, but in 2019, every day I have this board and I still, I'm in a different room now, but I still have the same board set up that it's split into six sections and it has the daily, the daily lesson for every, for every class. And it, I mean, not directions and everything, but like the agenda. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Right. Right. And that has been, um, now I have all like these master Google sheets and, you know, everything kind of working out. Um, but it's taken years to cultivate that and, and trial and error. Yes, this worked. No, this didn't work. Um, and then kind of like you said, well, if it didn't, what, what do I want to plug in instead? Um, yeah, it's, I do think that it is, even in the, uh, the hard times, it has been a blessing, right? Having nothing. Cause I've, I've figured out my own path and I have, um, gotten more confident in saying that, yes, I, yes, I'm a music teacher, but I'm also a curriculum developer. I'm also a content creator. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I think if everyone listening, all the music teachers really thought about what they do every day, they could say the same things for themselves, you know? Absolutely. You have given so much advice 
but I want to ask you, maybe there's something you haven't touched on for a teacher that finds themselves walking into a school building where they have a box of staff paper or one instrument or like my situation, one broken hand drum. What advice when they walk in and they're feeling overwhelmed and they don't even know where to start? Do you have tips around that that you could share with them? So I think I mentioned earlier how I used to use karaoke tracks to teach songs. And I would try to find now that's for me as a singer. So that worked that I felt confident in the singing part of it. But I think that, you know, kids don't really care. Like if you can fake the confidence in your in your singing, <laughs> they don't they don't know the difference and they just want to see you enjoying yourself. And then that's going to give them the freedom to enjoy themselves. Um, but I would say in that situation where you hardly have anything, do whatever it is that you know. If you are mm. a saxophonist, bring your saxophone to school and say, you know, this is what I play. Play for the kids. Have them keep the beat while you play a saxophone solo. Um, have them maybe listen to other saxophone, uh, maybe someone else playing the same song you played and have a discussion, compare and contrast. Um, I think that we have to like have the confidence and the self, the, like the wherewithal to, to know that, you know, you got this job for a reason. You you've probably trained for several, several years, uh, to get a degree, to get there. And before that you probably were in multiple music programs Mm -hmm. and probably have spent what hundreds, thousands of hours in rehearsals and performances. Like you are an expert at music in your way. Mm. And so when you have nothing, I would say that's the time you really like bring yourself, whatever that is. Um, if you're a percussionist, I mean, how many things in, in addition to our body, you know, pencils. I mean, my first year that pencils were our rhythm sticks. <laughs> I yes. have pencils with the logo. Oh yeah. Those Bring your pencils to class. Bring them with you. It is what Absolutely. it is. You know? yep. um, but I think that bring that thing that you feel confident in that you can share your passion easily with kids and, and bring them into it. I would also say, um, you know, especially now that everyone's on the virtual train, even though we're in person, zoom in one of your music friends, mm-hmm. have them talk about their career. Um, pre-virtual days, um, or a pre-pandemic, um, you know, not as much here in New Orleans. I've gone to some friends' classrooms and I've, I've helped them with like, uh, one of my partner teachers in my network is, um, he's an instrumentalist. And so I'll ask him advice about, you know, how to do this or arrange something. And he'll ask me singing advice. And one day I went and I helped his kids get ready for, for a performance. Um, but especially when I taught choir, I would have my friends come, come to rehearsal one day and, whoever you bring in, they're going to say something different or new, or maybe say everything you've said, but in their way, and it's going to turn on a light bulb for your kids. Um, and especially if you don't have any material, that's one class period. You don't have to plan. Yes. <laughs> you know? um, let somebody else help. And, you know, I think most people, no matter what field you're in, people like to feel like they can help. People like to share what they're passionate about. So, you know, if you could get a couple of friends to come in, 
share their instruments, sing a song, teach the kids a song. Um, and then you also learn from them. Like I've learned so much from my friends who have come in to do clinics with my kids and, and stuff like that. So I think like use your network, use your connections. And if they say no, they say no, you know? Right. A lot of the advice you just gave can be for any teacher listening, honestly, (laughs) because I feel like a lot of teachers, whether you're brand new out of college, maybe you are transitioning to a new school, but you find out that you, your new school doesn't have anything, or you've been teaching for years, but you just find yourself comparing yourself to other teachers. You're trying to do things the exact way you learned how to do it at a workshop or like an ORF level. Everything I learned in my ORF level, the giant binder I got, I didn't do it all the exact way they told us to do it. I had to shift a little bit and adapt it to meet the needs of my students. And that is exactly what you're saying. You're you. You have your own musicianship, your teaching style, your personality. So bring that to your students. And everybody, if you don't walk away with anything else from this episode, that's what I want you to take away is there are going to be days you mess up. There are going to be days a lesson doesn't go well. But like Natasha already said, trial and error think about maybe it wasn't the lesson that didn't go well like you said already maybe it was the instructions you gave and have confidence and the other thing i want to say which i've said a million times is to give yourself grace you just know that sometimes the train's going to go off the track a lot yeah i'd say every day i have a moment right or moments it is yes I would say like what is so beautiful about little kids i feel like they are pretty forgiving You know, I mean, just the other day I couldn't get, I pulled up, I don't know what we were doing. I was trying to pull up a song online and I pulled up the wrong song and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I pulled up the wrong one. Like several students. Oh, Miss P it's okay. (laughs) Thank you for understanding. And at our school, we give shine. And so it's like, Hey, give the computer shine. And sometimes Mm. Miss P needs the shine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't say this, I don't think yet. And I do think it's so important wherever you are in your career, but especially if you're a new teacher or building a new program is you must, you must, must, must connect and talk with parents. I think too many teachers are afraid to talk to parents and it is just a goldmine of opportunity for um, connection within your community and of creating support um, for for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I mean, nobody likes to have like a bad call if something went, something went poorly that day, but nine and a half out of 10 times when I have made a call because something went wrong that day or a student had a bad day, Mm -hmm. that parent is on my side. And if you can, you know, I think you have to deliver the information with love and correctly, and that you're trying to help, but, um, get those parents on your, on your team and on your kid's team. And then the next day when that kid comes, even if it was, you know, you had a bad day Monday, you called those parents are going to get those kids together for the most part. You're mm-hmm. probably going to have a better day Tuesday, not just because the kid's going to behave better, but they're going to know, Oh, miss peace calling my people. Like I'm going to get this together. And then once they get themselves together, they realize, Oh, we have fun here in music. Mm-hmm. I can relax. And then the, the more important thing is before a parent gets a bad call, they should have already had some good calls. Like absolutely. You know, when you get your new kids, 
hey, Jessica, as she had music mm-hmm. for the first time today. She was such a leader. She mm-hmm. was trying new things. I'm just so glad she's in my class. 30 seconds. Make yeah. that parent's day. Jessica is going to be so excited to come to music tomorrow, you know, and I just, um, my mom, who is a former music teacher and now principal of a performing arts high school, when I first started teaching, she was like, make a goal, five calls a week or one call per class per week, make a goal, do it. And I'm like, oh my, Natasha, (laughs) make those calls. She was right. And it has been, um, I've, I've so many beautiful relationships with my, my kids and their parents. And I think that is part of it. And, um, you know, when things open back up more, inviting them into your space and, and make them know you want them there, you know, that they're part of the team. Totally. Oh my gosh. I did the same thing. There would be times I'd have to call home for parents. And I realized quickly that that didn't go well because parents didn't know me. They didn't, they didn't care that I was calling. They were like, I don't have time for this. I'm at work. And so I, I realized, okay, so there's going to be times I do need to call a parent. But like you said, I shifted the way I thought about it. And I'm going to start saying some positive things too. Not just for the kids who, you know, you might have to make a phone call to, but if I catch a parent outside of the school building in the car rider line, I'm going to say something. Line, that's yes. the best duty spot. Oh my gosh. Like that's <laughs> catch them where you see them. You'll see parents, maybe not so much this year, but in the hallway, um, when they come to their child's performance, when they yes. um, come to eat lunch with their kid, when they're allowed to again, you know what I mean? Those kind of things. If you see them out in the community, but phone calls go a long way. And so or even that text, yeah. send a video. Absolutely. Oh my God. Jessica had a triangle solo mm-hmm. today. Here mm-hmm. it is. What a rock mm-hmm. star. 10 mm-hmm. seconds, mm-hmm. 10 seconds yeah. and like years of relationship. Oh, building. totally. And then that's going to trickle to other parents. They're going to let other people know, oh my gosh, you can trust this teacher. She has our kids back. They talk, you know? Yes. And yeah. so <laughs> it, it goes a long way. And so don't, the pushback is, well, I see so many students, but like you just said, mm-hmm. make a goal to say, okay, my goal this week is to call three parents. 30 seconds, three parents, that's my goal. And that's not a big goal. It's not a big, I mean, um, it's not going to take that much time, as much time as you think it will. Relationship building is so important. And that's something we haven't touched a lot on. And you talked about building relationships with parents, but the parents, the students, the staff in your building, if you're the new teacher and you're trying to build a music program, you want as much support as you can get. You need buy-in from your students. You can't just say I'm the music teacher, respect me. Like they, they got to know you. They got to earn (laughs) your trust. I mean, I'm telling you so many things you're saying. It's like, I, I had a, I guess you could call her mentor, but tell me, be really tough on the kids. Then you can loosen up. Well, I tried that approach. It didn't work well. They were, maybe they were sitting quiet because they were like, afraid of me or whatever, but they were also not really interacting in my room. And I was like, I don't like this. This is not right. working. So then I started working on relationship building and I would get out and you, I can see this happening with you too, without even asking you this question, because I can just tell, I would get asked by some of the classroom teachers, um, how are you not having struggles with this particular child? Or how are you getting them to listen that way? Or how do you, whatever the other question might be. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was doing anything special. I just am making a point to listen to them and be real and we have conversations in here and you know we were we're creating an environment where it is conducive to learning and so um that's just huge and so if you're building a music program you're going to be so stressed out about all the things but don't forget about the kiddos in the process like get to know them while you're building this program up too you know ask them about what they like to sing and how they like to experience music right you know right yeah so that they want to be there and the piece Mm -hmm. that you said about like 
connecting with the staff, you know, those homeroom teachers are with those kids, what, six hours and 45 minutes out of the day. They know those kids, you know, some just as well as their parents at home and going on your planning period to sit in ELA. How does, you know, how does your, that teacher give directions? How do they incentivize? How do they, uh, like, what's the culture like? Is it positive? What can you take from that? Is it negative? If it is negative, like, what do you want to do different to Mm -hmm. make sure, like, if you have a student, um, like the one you were saying that other teachers are like, they're doing great for you. Well, <laughs> you might have one, it might be the opposite. Like if you have oh, a yeah. that's struggling and they're, you know, they're great at math, go watch them in math. Absolutely. And see, you know, why are they excelling? What is that teacher doing with them? And, um, and also they love to see people in their class, go sit down, learn some common core. I'm still trying to figure out how to oh, do girl. it. Oh, girl, don't get me started. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Oh, that story brings me back to when my whole family had COVID last January and um, we were all home with each other for 11 billion days anyways. <laughs> and my, my, well, my middle son, who's, he was a third grader at the time and it's show your work on these math problems. And I was like, this is, you're not showing your work the way I showed my work. So I finally, one time, <laughs> I don't even remember the math problem, but I said, and he was using his Chromebook, but on Google Classroom. And I said, just put a bunch of tally marks down and say, you're showing your work. That's not how you do it. So I emailed his teacher. I'm like, listen. She goes, I already know what you're going to say. And I'm like, we're mathing over here, but not the way you want us to math because I'm running a fever and he doesn't cannot explain to me well what's going on with the boxes and circles. We're getting to the answer, but it's not going to look the way so many boxes it to look. <laughs> I don't know I what's going on. I do this whole page of math and I was feeling really proud of myself. Uh, and then a colleague came over and she was like, Natasha, <laughs> do it. <laughs> It's not the same. No, it's not the same. It's not. So we showed his work. It was just a bunch of tally marks. She was like, what the heck is this? (laughs) It's fine. We we got through that season. But um, I want to talk about you using children's literature in the music room. I know that this is a passion of yours. So just talk a little bit about that. How do you use books with your students and what do you enjoy about it? Sure. So um, the summer of 2020, when we were coming back to school for the fall, at our first staff meeting, our principal said that our number one goal this year, no matter what you teach is literacy. And so um, you need to be thinking about how you're going to incorporate that. And as music teachers, excuse me, we have to always be thinking about how can we connect into our school's goals, right? We're not just an extra thing, we're integral to our kids learning and to our community. And so, in my ORF level one, my pedagogy teacher used a lot of books. And I thought it was so cool, but I was a little afraid. I was like, let me tackle instruments first, <laughs> then we'll get to the books. And um, so I thought, okay, this is what my principal said is our goal. I'm going to make a personal goal of doing one story per week and figuring out some kind of musical activity to go with it. And I, for me personally, I had so much fun um, like reading these beautiful books and, and letting my creative juices get going. And like, how do I want to bring this to life with music? So for me, it was an exciting creative process. Um, but when I brought it to my kids and I was nervous the first time, like, how is this going to go? They loved it. They love to be read to. They, I mean, our life is a story, right? Music is storytelling. So it's just such a natural pairing. And um, 
it has been so cool, especially during the pandemic, and I've carried it now into in-person teaching. Um, my classes, when we were all virtual, I only had 30 minutes a week versus 50 minutes, four times a week. So mm. big difference. And it was like, well, what's important? What's, why should these kids log on? Why should they turn on their camera? Why should they engage with me? And so every weekly lesson was a story. And I use stories to talk about things going on in our world, which I think is always important, but especially at that time where we were separated and disconnected. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think people think that kids don't know what's going on, but they're, they're online, they're on social media, they have TV, they listen to the people that they're around. And I think they're a little bit more clued in. And, um, you know, it's been a rough few years for social reasons, for health reasons, um, and using children's books to open up discussion for them to have like kind of a safe place to process some of their feelings about the pandemic, about the social upheaval and social injustice happening in our world, which has been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years, but now has this, you know, spotlight all of a sudden. Yeah. And um, it has, yeah, you know, at first I thought, okay, I'm just doing this because my principal told me to do it, but it became, <laughs> yeah. it became, it's, it's the core of my work now. And I mean, I, I, children's books are just so, so much fun. And so beautiful. I love to read anyway, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that I would love children's books and the illustrations and, you know, the kids are, are captivated and every week the books on my piano change and the kids like to ask, you know, when are we doing this? What's this one about? Um, it has just, it has transformed my it has transformed everything about me teaching elementary music. And there's so much you can do. You can dance along to a book. You can sing, you can do rhythm sticks. You can play whatever instruments. Kids can compose and do something instead. Um, there, there are just so many connections. And then for me, it's like all of that is what's important now. Plus that's what school wants me to do too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. I love that so much. There are a lot of things you can do to, to a book. And I, same, I remember doing ORF level and talking about poetry and speech pieces and stories and, and then make it musical. But before that experience, it's all about songs and movement and instruments and which all that is a part of music. But I had never heard anybody tell me that you could make something that's not an actual song musical. So Same. I was like, what? Mind blown. <laughs> you know? yeah, then, right. then it makes sense. And it's cross-curricular too, without you even trying that hard at it. You know, yes. um, I love that. So tell us about your YouTube channel. I'm so excited for you to talk about this because I know that it, it's actually amazing. And so a lot of music teachers listening right now already pro have probably found you on YouTube or watch one or, or more of your videos. So tell us your inspiration behind starting that and what can music teachers see on there when they head to your YouTube channel? Sure. So my YouTube channel is music with Miss P and it is, or it started just as a way for me to get virtual lessons to my kids. I had kind of I had no grand ideas of growing a channel or, or really sharing it with anyone else. And um, I would, when we first went home in March, 2020, our uh, leadership team asked the enrichment teachers to post videos to the school Instagram to get kids lessons that way. And 
after a while, like trying to do carousel slides with multiple videos, it just got crazy. So I was like, well, I'll just make this YouTube channel and they can send a link. And then kind of as I made them, you know, I was like, I, I've always shared what's going on on Facebook or Instagram, but that summer or that spring, I'd also started a music teacher Instagram, which is music with miss underscore P um, just to document my journey. Um, and so I started to share those videos on my Instagram and on Facebook. And it just, I started connecting with people mm-hmm. all over the world. Um, at the beginning, a lot of my friends with younger kids that send me videos of their kids singing like the Hello Miss Peace song or, or whatever. And it was just so sweet. And um, again, at that time where we were so separated and disconnected, mm-hmm. it felt like somehow I was like meeting more people than ever. Mm. And I was getting to do that through what I love to do. So that felt really special. And that was very motivating. Um, But I also think what inspired me, you know, to share every week uh, is I think back to my 2017 first year of elementary music teacher self with her cardboard box and boom whackers (laughs) (laughs) who had no idea what to do and no resources to do it with. And You know, I think about listening to your podcast. I think about all the teachers who gave me ideas on Facebook, on YouTube, um, you know, like the musication channel on YouTube and uh, virtual musical minds. I mean, I wouldn't have survived without those and, you know, virtual learning was hard for a lot of reasons. And I thought, well, here, you know, here's a way I can give back to the music community that has helped me through so many things. And I have just, um, really just feel so blessed by the connections uh, I've made and the uh, support I've received, but like seeing kids all over the world, you know, like do a dance or sing a song I've done is just like, so beyond my wildest dreams or imagination Mm. or certainly anything I thought when I posted that first video. Um, So it has just been real, a really, really cool journey. And I, it's, it's fun for me. And, you know, during the pandemic, we all had a lot of lot more time on our hands and this gave me something productive to do something that I was excited about and, um, something that, you know, I was trying to use to help other people. And so that was, um, that was really cool. And I, yeah, I, there, most of the, uh, lessons are book-based, mm-hmm. um, but there are a couple theory lessons on there, uh, for basic rhythms and, um, uh, melody reading. Um, I have a, how to write the blues lesson. That is really fun that I, I do with my kids now and, um, in person and yeah, it, it's really cool. I've, I've only done a few new videos this school year. I'm hoping to get some more out. I have a handful all prepped and ready. It's just finding the time to oh, totally come home from school and, yeah. and, and do it. But, um, it's, it's, truly a, a passion project mm-hmm. and, um, just a lot of fun. That's awesome. I'm so excited to have music teachers go check that out if they have not, because your ideas are awesome and I really appreciate you sharing those. And I think it's awesome that the YouTube channel is still going. Yes. So before we go, what other advice, if there is any that you have not shared that maybe something else that's on your heart, you want to share with music teachers before we go today? I think I just kind of want to underline and emphasize what we were talking about the earlier, which is just bring who you are Mm -hmm. 
to your room and, and trust yourself and all of those years of training and experiences and, and your own creativity. Because I think, especially if you were classically trained, you know, we're, we're taught to do everything by the book and do it perfectly. And if you breathe on measure four and you were supposed to wait till five, ruined. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And yes. It shouldn't be like that anywhere. But in the elementary music room, for me, it is about community. It is about connection, relationships, and, and having a good time with kids. And if you are yourself, your kids are going to feel that and they're going to want to bring their selves to you in your classroom. And I think it, it's going to make you enjoy your work more and it's going to make your kids enjoy your class more. And, and what's better than, you know, kids saying, I had so much fun today, right? That's, that's the best thing. Such great advice. All right, Natasha, tell everybody where they can connect with you online after this episode. Absolutely. So the YouTube channel is music with miss ms.p. And my Instagram page is music with miss ms underscore P. And I've also recently started a blog that has a couple of resources on there, which is music with miss P.com. Awesome. All those links will be in the show notes. So make sure you guys look for those. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I have loved oh my gosh, this conversation. Thank you. I'm like starstruck. <laughs> like you're the... <laughs> Be Jessica Peresta, like it's just wild. I oh, whatever. When you emailed me, I was like, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys, and if you have any questions after this episode airs, I know Natasha would love to give you any pointers yeah. and tips. And so just reach out to her. Just I we, we know what do. it's like, you know, especially if you're in a situation like we both found ourselves in, starting at a school that has literally nothing, no budget, no instrument, no help, nothing. We get it it's hard. And so lean on someone who's been there, done that. Reach out if you need any help at all. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.